Welcome back, Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast, and we are in a new month. We're in the month of May. And um, this month, we're going to be talking about the first part of the month. Uh, You've got some readings that deal with Jesus, the miracle worker. Uh, Miracle worker in May. So we'll connect those two. The rest of the month of May, uh, we'll actually start a series in the book of Joshua. So we'll go back to the Old Testament and learn some lessons and some truths, some good principles there from the book of Joshua. A good book to read through. Won't read through it all, but a majority of it we will. But for this week, we're going to talk about Jesus, the miracle worker. And so we've gone, uh, you've got in front of you your reading for this week. And so it includes a list of miracles um, that Jesus did. Um, but before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about miracles. I want to talk a little bit about um, the types of miracles um, that Jesus did. If you were to go through the Gospels, um, we can really boil them down to about three different types of miracles. You had physical healing, you had casting out demons, and then you had what we call natural miracles. Um, and so those are the three kinds of miracles that you're going to uh, come across in your reading uh, as Jesus does these miracles, and, b- and by the way, you know in Acts as well, and Nathan knows this too that you know the apostles were given abilities to do miracles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just talking about the miracles that actually Jesus did. Um, so uh, one of the questions that we often get asked about miracles, at least I've been asked it before: um, Why didn't Jesus always heal every person that he ever saw? You know, you ever been asked that question? Like, if Jesus can oh, heal yeah. everybody, mm-hmm. why didn't he heal everybody? You know, if he has the ability to do miracles, then why didn't Jesus heal everyone? Like, for example, in Acts chapter 3, we referenced this when we talked about Acts. Um, he, uh, Peter and John healed the lame man. Well, Jesus mm-hmm. would have come into contact with that lame man every time he went to the temple. So why didn't he heal them? So it's a question I've been asked. I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out and put Nathan on the hot seat here this morning and see what you thought about. I've got a couple ideas, but I I get that question asked a lot because you Uh look at the miracles and you look how compassionate Jesus was on everybody that came. And, and, but yet like in John chapter five, he only healed one from the pool Mm -hmm. of Bethesda. Um, He didn't heal them all. Um, So I've often been asked that question. What do you think about that? Well, I haven't really been thinking about it lately. <laughs> That's why I put you on the hot seat today. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I suppose you could, uh, you know, the Lord has a purpose in everything he does. Absolutely. And um, it could be that uh, perhaps, you know, he knows who is going to believe. True. And True. Who, who won't believe. And he has a specific purpose that we don't know about in each situation to bring glory to himself and to bring others uh, to, to, to himself. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing you said too, and, and I think that's what I'm, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. That's in the vein of thinking I'm thinking about the belief idea. It seems like that he always wanted before he did the miracle to see or to test if they had faith or if mm. they were ready to believe. It's almost like if Jesus didn't know they were going to believe and he wouldn't do the miracle for them. It's kind of that was a prerequisite, we might say, mm-hmm. if they were to believe and then he would do the miracle. Because always, he always asked them, you know, mm-hmm. do you want to be healed? Well, of course I want to be healed, mm-hmm. you know, and part of that is believing in Jesus right. as the one that can heal him. Because we know that miracles not only authenticate the message, but they authenticate the person, the messenger, mm-hmm. Jesus. And so for the fact that he's doing the miracles, of course, that's Old Testament prophecy as well. Right. You know. Yeah, and I think about the fact that uh, he knew what was in man. 
is yeah. what it says in other passages. So yeah. he knew who would believe and, and, he and it knew says, who would not. And it says several times, at least in these miracles, that it has a line that says Jesus knew what they were thinking. Right. You know, he knew what they were thinking, which kind of is cheating because he's God. He knows what they're thinking. So it right. kind of, but anyway, um, so when you look at miracles um, in the Gospels, and by the way, you know, Jesus is still doing miracles today. I mean, miracles are happening all over the place, whether we attribute them directly to Jesus or whether uh, Jesus is using someone to accomplish that miracle. Uh, it's still a miracle. And uh, so we've got a list of miracles we collected here uh, as you read through the gospel accounts. And so we'll kind of go through them um, as we have time today. The first one is, um, well, the first one that Jesus did in John chapter 2, the miracle at the wedding of Cana. Um, And in the book of John, um, the first two we have for this week are from the book of John. So in the book of John, we've referenced this before, John is made up of seven different signs. And those signs authenticate uh, Jesus, as far as these are the seven signs that you need to know or you need to look into if you want to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, not every sign is a miracle, but in this case, it tells us at the very um, beginning or at the very end of this passage at the wedding at Cana that this was one of the signs. Uh, verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. So this is the first of, uh, of seven signs, at least in the book of John, from what we have. Um, so what do you think about this first miracle, Jesus turning water into wine? What's, what's important in this text, Nathan? What do you think? The first thing that stands out to me is um, when he was approached, the first thing he said was, um, well, of course, it sounds kind of callous in our King James Version. <laughs> Using the word woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Woman, ha- what have I to do with thee? Yeah. My hour is not yet come. That's that's the part, not not the first part of that, but right. the second part. My hour is not yet come. Yeah, about uh, him being. Um, and, and in another portion, uh, I believe it's when the, the his uh, brothers and sisters says, "Why don't you show yourself for what yeah, you are?" Yeah, and exactly. He said, "My hour feast. is not yet, but your hour is yeah. always with you." <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what that means, but to yeah. me, it, it's, it seems to indicate that we are always ready to show off who we are. Yeah, well, that's true, but too. Jesus had a specific plan, and this was not the time for him to fully reveal himself to everybody as the, as the yeah. Messiah. Yeah. It does show a little bit. My translation a little more. My NLT says, dear woman, that's not our problem. <laughs> that's what it <laughs> says. <laughs> my time has not yet come. Sounds a little less callous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and, of course, when he's saying his time, you know, him, Jesus, and God the Father had a plan to slowly, you know, reveal who he was Mm -hmm. throughout the gospel accounts and the gospel narrative. And I think it's interesting that at this time he's like, it's not time for me to start revealing that yet. Mm -hmm. But he still does the miracle. Right. His mama still asks him to do the miracle. He still Mm -hmm. obliges and says, okay, I'll do the miracle. I'll help. I think it's interesting, too, that... She's the first person he goes to as well because right. she goes to the one who uh, she knows can solve the problem, um, which is something that we need to do and oftentimes sometimes we don't do. Um, but you also see the creative work, I think, of God and of Christ in this miracle as well, how he can create. I mean, the same one that created the worlds can just poof, you know, change the water into wine, just create something mm-hmm. new because it says, you know, it's the new wine. It's not mm-hmm. um, old wine. It's, it's good stuff. It's stuff that's been fermented, I guess, for a while. And you can't just create that out of nothing. But Jesus did. 
Um, and so I think there's a um, there's a lot of good things in this passage, but I feel like um, this is one of those things. And of course, John includes it as one of the seven signs. Look at this sign, and this sign will help to show that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. So, you know, in this passage, you look at that, and and that's what John wants us to come away from. Another thing and, I noticed in relation to my hour is not yet come, that Jesus in these first couple of miracles is somewhat, this isn't quite accurate way of saying it, but somewhat distant from his own miracles. I mean, people don't know who did this, why this water was, or right. they didn't know at the end result, they didn't know it was water turned into wine. They just thought right. it was great, really and, good wine. And it was it was kind of kept kind of quiet because only the servants knew mm-hmm. what it had done. And, of course, right. his mother as well. But nobody else knew. Mm-hmm. So Jesus did the miracle kind of, like you say, kind of quietly or in secret almost. Uh, maybe because he wanted to do the miracle but didn't want all the attention. And there was not time for that attention. Right. Because how many other times does he timing. say when he does a miracle to a person and he says, now don't tell anybody what I've right. just did. Don't show anybody. Don't go and broadcast this. Yet people still do. But at the same time, I think that's trying to show us that that narrative through the Gospels of Jesus slowly revealing himself in his time, the way that God the Father and him together want him to be revealed. But yet at the same time, you've got the free will of man and humanity mm-hmm. and their nature to just do what they want to do mm-hmm. and how all that works together. Well, the wedding of Cana is one of the first ones. The other passage in here is a, another classic one in John chapter 4, and it's the healing of the nobleman's son. And, you know, you look at this one, and this one, the biggest thing for me from this one is just that the nobleman had faith, and Jesus didn't even have to be there. He Jesus just right. said the word, and he believed. And that's our connection between what we're talking about, my hour's not yet come, uh-huh. and the faith is the fact that Jesus Christ didn't have to be there. He didn't have to... Uh... It kind of reminds me of when Naaman was healed, mm-hmm. and Naaman yeah. was very disappointed that yeah. uh, the prophet didn't Jordan. come out yeah. and do some great thing in front of him. Yeah. And so Jesus doesn't even go to the person. He just says, you're healed. Your faith has made you well. And, and, and Naaman even complained more and is like, surely there's other waters in the nasty oh, yeah. Jordan River <laughs> that I even can Even the Jordan wasn't good enough, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. You have to have all these qualifications, and then, then I'll let Jesus come and heal me, or then I'll let the prophet Elijah in that time come and heal me, as Nathan would say. And in this case, I mean, he does say, Jesus asks, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? It's kind of frustrated, you know. That's in chapter 4, verse 48. Uh, and the official, the official pleaded. He says, Lord, please come now. See, the official had a plan. He wanted him to come and heal him, lay his hands somehow mm-hmm. on him. But Jesus had a different plan, and his plan definitely was a better plan, don't you think? Right. His plan eventually led for that man and his household, some of his household ones, to come to faith in Christ. Um, and at the end of verse 54 of chapter 4, where well, the last verse of chapter 4, it says, this was the second miraculous sign. Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So that's two of the seven signs that John gives us in the Gospel of John. Those are the two ones. So, um, I, And I encourage you, if you have a free time to study in the Gospel of John, study out those seven different signs um, and, and look at them all together and see how they show uh, together how Jesus is who he says he is. Now, we have a few passages in Mark uh, to look at. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 34. That's another reading. And this is really, um, I lump these together in Mark uh, chapter 1 because they all happen, it seems like, 
They all happen within one single day. And it's kind of designed to give a perspective of what's a day like in the life of Christ. And Matt, or excuse me, Mark 1, 21 to 34, uh, kind of give you that perspective. There are three instances of ministry in Capernaum. It kind of happened on all on one day where his authority, uh, several different ways. And so those passages um, on 21 is casting out, 121 of Mark is casting out an evil spirit, um, uh, Peter's mother-in-law here, uh, and then um, more uh, another miracle as well. Um, so those three, or those, excuse me, those three kind of give you an idea of what it was like for a day in Christ, mm-hmm. the life of Christ, of him healing and these miracles. And all those miracles were done to show that Jesus has the authority to be the Son of God. Because remember, the Gospel of Mark was written to show Jesus as a servant, but it was also written to a Roman audience. And the Romans responded to people with authority. Mm-hmm. And so here's Mark trying to demonstrate Jesus has authority. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over demons. He has authority over religious leaders, all these things. And so a Roman audience would respond well to authority. And, and you see these, these three, um, three miracles here all together. And, and to me, they definitely show that Jesus has all the authority that's needed. But yet, how many times um, do the religious leaders question his authority. And the people were amazed that he spoke with, with authority. authority. Yeah, right. that's another thing. And, that, and that's, that's uh, I think that comes up later where, uh, I can't remember the exact passage, where they were um, impressed with his teaching ability. It's almost like they weren't impressed so much with his miracles. Because you think about it, Old Testament prophets, they could do miracles, right? Right. Like you just said, Elijah mm-hmm. and some of the others. But the ability to teach and to connect things together like Jesus did, nobody had or nobody at that point had that authority. So maybe that's the reason why. I don't know. But, you know, Peter here has his mother-in-law who needs help. And so he's even caring for those close to him, Mm -hmm. you know, his apostles and not just uh, specific ones. But the story of the um, Jesus cast out an evil spirit in the synagogue, to me, that's a powerful one because uh, Jesus is in Capernaum. This is this place of kind of home base of ministry. And it's, during, it's in a synagogue service mm. where he's there visiting in the synagogue service. And this uh, demonic man, possessed man, uh, speaks out. And listen to what it says in verse 20. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Wow. So the demon knew exactly who Jesus was, but Jesus cut him short. My mm-hmm. translation says, be quiet. Come out of the man. He ordered that evil spirit screamed and threw the man into convulsion, then came out of him. His amazement gripped. Again, Jesus is stopping him from explaining to the people who he really is. Because again, that narrative of the plan of slowly revealing himself so that right. they will accept him. So even, and I think it's funny, I think it's interesting that even the evil spirit knows who Jesus is. He knew right away. Right. You didn't need to convince him at all. He knew exactly who Jesus was. And these people were amazed that he had authority even over the demons. You know, not knowing exactly who this Jesus Christ was. They were amazed that he had authority, that even the evil spirits obeyed him. And uh, and then, like he said before, when we get to the next story, they're, um, the demons are wanting to reveal who Christ is. And are you going to put us in our place 
before the time has come. So the demons know something about God's plan yeah. and uh, that Jesus Christ will have ultimately all authority, and they're fighting against that. Yeah, because at the very uh, last verse of or, uh, chapter 1, verse 34 of Mark, it says, So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Man. Again, I guess maybe Jesus wants to reveal himself on his terms. Right. And maybe not let the demons mm -hmm. do. I mean, you think about it. No, 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 no. You can't. You can't introduce me. No, you're not allowed to introduce Jesus, the Savior of the world. No, I'm going to introduce me, Jesus says. Um, I think it's very, very interesting the way that works out. Um, the other passage in Mark, Mark chapter 10, um, this is a classic one. You probably heard sermons and stuff preached from Mark 10. Actually, the Mark 10 passage and the Luke 18 passage are pretty much the same situation. It's blind Bartimaeus, right? and he's the one that's here in Mark chapter 10 as well as in Luke 18, so it's the same passage. I looked more, in more detail at the, at the Mark passage, Mark 10. Um, and again, same thing here. Um, the demons recognize who Jesus is. Now it's a blind man <laughs> right. who recognizes and, and makes the profession of faith as to who Jesus is. Because he says, you know, blind Bartimaeus there, um, in verse 47 of chapter 10, it says, when Bartimaeus... Uh, heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. And he shouted only louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus stopped him, he said, come here. And he called the blind man, cheer up. He said, come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped and came to Jesus. And of course, he says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, a blind man, you know, Jesus mm -hmm. says, what do you want me to do for you? Of course, I want you to heal me. I want to see and he says, go, your faith is healed. But he said it two times, Jesus, son of David. And this is really interesting. See, Bartimaeus, this blind man, didn't need to see Jesus' works for him to believe. He only needed to hear the message. Right. And, you know, we don't need today, we can read about what Jesus did, but we don't mm -hmm. need to see the works that Jesus mm -hmm. did. We just believe that he did them, and we accept by faith. So Bartimaeus, another great example. I mean, he heard Jesus, right? Right. He probably knew the, the speech of what Jesus mm -hmm. sounded like, his voice, and he just responded in faith to that. He didn't need to see it. But yet the people that saw Jesus do these works, they didn't believe. Right. I think there's something to be said Man. for this, uh, the fact that th there was a certain amount of decorum that these people surrounding this blind man wanted. They, they didn't think that he should be speaking out yeah, they were and trying crying to out him. to Jesus. And uh, I like the way they're proved wrong when Jesus points them out <laughs> and is willing to heal. And he has a heart for the, the blind and the uh, disadvantaged yeah. among us. All classes of people, right. all groups, all social classes, mm -hmm. as well as they thought it was unimportant, just like the many times that Jesus, that, that, that even the apostles were pushing the way the children and saying, oh, they're not important. Let's not focus on them. I heard a, uh, a quote the other day. Um, I think it was a quote from D.L. Moody that said something along the lines of um, somebody asked him how many people were uh, saved in his service the other day, and he says, uh, two and a half. And so the person thought, oh, that must be a child and a half. Uh, and he says, no, uh, the two children and the adult, because he said that the children have a longer life to live right. for Christ and count for more 
Uh, mm-hmm. The adult's life is half over, so who right. only counts as half. Yeah. And I thought that was important. And, you know, you look at the apostles, and they're pushing away the kids, mm-hmm. but they've got their whole life to live for the cause of Christ. Anyway, just to give you a, a, a different perspective. Well, the other passage about miracles, keep moving here. We've got Matthew 14, and this is the classic two, uh, Matthew 14, which is um, the feeding of the 5,000 and uh, walking on water. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 being interesting because it's included in all four gospel accounts, all four. And the one I really liked, it, and you didn't have to read that for this week, is not on assignment, but I like it when it includes it in the book of John because right after it, it has the bread of life discourse, right. and it connects the two mm-hmm. as Jesus is the one that supplies their need, and Jesus is also the bread of life. But yet at the end of that bread of life discourse in John 6, it says many people didn't want to follow him because they said it was too hard to follow Jesus. Right. And of course, that's when Peter stands up and makes that great confession. You have the words to eternal life. Right. Where else Where would we gonna go? Where else would we go? Mm-hmm. A great example. But it shows you the importance of that uh, miracle because it's it's the only one that I know of in all four gospels as far as the miracles are concerned. And so um, when Jesus feeds the five thousand, and I've often thought about what it would be like to be sitting there and to see Jesus, you know, do this miracle and just the baskets never end. I wonder what the apostles would have thought about, you know, the baskets they just keep pulling stuff out. And just never ends. Imagine seeing their eyes. Yeah, it's never how ends. big they got. Yeah, never <laughs> ends. Just just keep pulling it out, and and you know you look at what Jesus does for us, and on a consistent basis, every day of our lives, it's it's never ending. His resources, the treasures we have in Christ, are as Paul says, are they're they're endless. You can't exhaust those resources, and everything that we need in life is found in Christ. All of it, mm-hmm. everything of it. Um, and I look at some of these miracles and what Jesus did for these people, and you know, I look back sometimes and think, surely they would have thought, this has got to be the guy. This has got to be the one. After all these miracles that he've done, that, that he has done, but um, unfortunately, you know, they didn't believe. And even those who did believe, the disciples sometimes had still had problems with oh. faith. You would. You and I think that if we'd been there and seen all that, we would never have another problem again with faith. But uh, it's a continual problem. I hope that if I was there, I would have good faith. But knowing myself and knowing the way human nature is, I probably wouldn't. (laughs) I mean, if I were to be honest. Um, But, yeah, and it's hard to put ourselves back in that perspective. Um, Knowing what we know now, um, obviously, we'd know to respond correctly, know what we know now, but mm-hmm. not knowing what we know now, it, it might be hard. It might mm-hmm. be difficult. You know, like with the other case with the walking on water, um, you know, we all like to look at Peter and say, mm-hmm. Peter is the star of the story, but it's really Jesus is the star, star of the story. I can't say that correctly, the right. star of the story. Because I think it's interesting as you look at this, and, and the story's familiar, most of you out there know it as, uh, Peter gets the chance to walk on water, and Jesus says, come to me, and he walks on the water, and then he begins to sink, and everybody focuses on Peter and sinking. But the mm-hmm. end of the story, look at what it says closely. At the end of the story, it says, they all worshipped, not Peter, they all worshipped Jesus. Jesus. Um, because Jesus was the one that did the miracle. And sometimes I think we look at those miracles and we say, oh, look, Peter didn't have any faith. Peter didn't have... Well, the miracle was about Jesus. Right. And Jesus' ability to do the miracle. Of course, Peter had an initial faith right. to get out of the boat. Right. But, um, the, uh, of course, the star of the story is Jesus and, and not Peter, but also 
Jesus as the object of our faith yeah. rather than our faith itself because our faith falters. And, you know, you talk about the uh, um, first chapter of James, when, yeah. uh, you know, the doubting. And um, I'm reminded whenever I look at that passage of the the 2004 presidential election. <laughs> okay, we're going to get political now. <laughs> when um, the incumbent uh, put a tack out, out against the um, challenger okay. about windsurfing. <laughs> and I remember that one. How he's out on the sea and it makes the uh, windsurf go this way and that way. And then he presented... <laughs> The positions yeah. that this man held that were opposite of each other. They're so he's going this way forward. and that way. But that's the way my faith is. Yeah. And as long as I'm in the flesh and have a human nature, my faith will continue to be there. So, yeah. and, but Jesus said, if you have faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you can say the mountain be removed, and it would. And it's, it's not our faith, obviously. It's the object of our faith, which is... Mm. Jesus Christ, and of course Peter got his eyes off the Lord and looked at the winds and the waves around him and sunk, and then Jesus restored him, pulled him out of the water, yeah. and saved him. So, my faith will come and go, and no matter how strong it, or weak it may be, it's never about me. And it seems like um, it's about the object of my faith. It seems like the apostles struggle with that, like. It seems like Jesus was teaching the same lessons over and over and over and over again, like reviewing the same content over and over and over again. Like, you know, we're in Matthew 14 with the walking on water, but then, you know, the other one here in Matthew 8 is about Jesus calming the storm and, you know, he's asleep on the boat and his disciples are disciples who are seasoned fishermen, by the way. They're worried about the storm. Uh, the storm, I looked up the word, it's actually the word seismos used for earthquake. So this was like a, a hard storm, like it was scaring them, and Jesus was asleep. And then he asked them, he responds, why are you so afraid? You, uh, uh, he says, you have so little faith. And then he got up after that, and then he got up and rebuked the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. So he says that before he actually does the miracle, he says, you don't have any faith. And then he stops. I think it's interesting. He doesn't do the miracle first. And then say, why don't you have any faith? He does it first. He says, uh, you know, why do you have so little faith? So to me, it's a miracle. Um, you look at the miracle and we say, oh, Jesus can control the waves and the waters and the winds. Oh, that's great. But that wasn't the point of it. The point of it was to teach the fact that they don't have faith. It was almost right. like a discipleship uh, mm -hmm. illustra uh, story or lesson. You know, you need to have more faith in me because mm -hmm. I am who I say I am. And the disciples were amazed. It says, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Mm -hmm. But sometimes within those miracles, there's always a little nugget of truth that kind of relates to the miracle that Jesus did, but, but separate from it. Because I feel like Jesus never wastes his miracles. They're always done to teach a lesson. Not only are they done to show his power and authenticate his message, but they're always done, I feel like, to teach some kind of lesson in it. And he points it out. He says, why are you of little faith? Then he stops. I wonder how long he said that and waited <laughs> before he actually stopped the wind and the waves. Uh, that you know? would have been interesting to be there and find that out. But he, he didn't do it before he did it, or he did it before he didn't wait till after. And I think um, just the way that he did that would have been would have been interesting. And um, you know, there's a couple other ones in here as well. Jesus heals a demon possessed man. And Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Um, you know, in in that one in Matthew nine. Um, he says, your sins are forgiven. So now we have another one where now Jesus is claiming the ability to forgive sins. The religious leaders don't like that, 
But right. nonetheless, he says it, uh, the ability to do that. Um, then the last one, and we don't have much time left, but the last one is the uh, raising of Jairus' daughter. That's in Luke, um, Luke chapter 8. And that's a classic example as well of, of raising someone back to, to life like he did with Lazarus. And that story, you know, Jesus heading there to Jairus' house, Jairus' house or Jairus, I, I think it's, I say Jairus, I hope that's right, Jairus' house, and he's stopped by a woman who touches him. And, you know, he's in a crowd of people, and he says, who touched me, who touched me? And his disciples are like, what? You're in a whole crowd, crowd of, people. of people. Everybody's mm-hmm. touching you. But he knew exactly what, it, what, what had happened. Uh, you know, healing ability, I guess, had gone out from him and healed this. But, but in the meantime, Jairus' daughter had died, and Jairus was upset. He's like, you don't need to come now. Tell the teacher he doesn't need to come now. My daughter is, is dead. But nonetheless, he still comes anyway. Again, showing that, you know, Jesus has the power to do miracles. He, he's doing miracles in the middle of miracles, you know. Right. He, he's trying to get right to do the, the miracle yeah. right in the middle of the story. There's another miracle, and then he finishes the miracle, which creates even a bigger miracle because he just doesn't heal a sick. He raises her back to life. And, of course, like you said earlier, you know, there's a time for every miracle to be done. And you'd think that in that case, Jesus would say, now listen, let's not worry about this woman. She touched me and my healing went out. We need to get to Jairus' house to help raise, to help heal his daughter. But he went ahead and had that whole conversation with that other woman um, before actually getting to Jairus' house. So to me, that's like timing. You know, timing is a big deal and timing is perfect. Mm-hmm. So um, getting there quicker uh, may not have been uh, as important, maybe. And I wonder if this is just thought, yeah. and I don't have any biblical basis to <laughs> that. Maybe some of these uh, miracles where Jesus was not present but spoke the word, yeah. and the miracle took place in in another place, would help us who have not seen him and yet believe. So when I mean, when I have a problem in my life, I never actually see Jesus physically. Right. right. But I believe. I hope you don't. (laughs) (laughs) But I believe that I can go to him in prayer, and I believe that he can touch, he can heal, he can solve whatever problem I have. Yeah. And uh, if it's according to his will, that he will do it. Yeah. I don't have to see him. I don't have to hear his voice audibly. But uh, of course, you know, he said to Thomas, "You know, you saw, you believe." Yeah. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Yeah, believe. Yeah, and then that's for us today, for because Jesus is still doing miracles today. Um, and in contrast to what happens here in the end of this passage and about Jairus's daughter, several of the other passages have said the very last verse of well, at least chapter eight, verse fifty-six says her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. And so again, not yeah, telling anyone what happened. You know, the difference between that and today is that you know when Jesus does a miracle for us. We let the world know. Right. We tell others what has happened because we want to be able to tell them about what mm-hmm. Jesus did. Of course, in this time, you know, Jesus was slowly revealing himself, but we know now that's already happened. And so uh, we want everyone to know about the miracle that Jesus did. Like in the book of Acts, when the healing of the lame man, he was dancing and jumping around in the temple. Everybody saw him. Everybody mm-hmm. saw the miracle, and they were all rejoicing. Jesus is alive. He's still doing miracles. And the fact that Jesus still does miracles today mean that the resurrection actually happened, and Jesus is who he says he is. All right. Well, our time is gone for today, unfortunately. 
Um, so as you read this week and as you read through the miracles of Christ, uh, just spend some time digging into those miracles. And we didn't really dig in and get to cover a lot of the material there, but we gave you some ideas, some thoughts, some clues to really dig into because each miracle has... Uh, man, you know, when Jesus does a miracle, there are so many different lessons that can come out of that miracle, so many different levels, layers almost, uh, of the way that you can look at it. And so, you know, obviously the Bible is endless. The treasure trove there is for lessons are endless. We're never going to completely know everything there is to know about Scripture, about Jesus, nor do I think we ever will know, even when we get to heaven. I don't think we'll know, because if we did, we'd be God, right? That's right. And we're not. All right. Well, we're done for this week. We'll catch you guys next time.